It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. We can find instant satisfaction in almost anything these days. Sleepy? Instant coffee. Need to sell your car fast? Car sales? Instant offer. That's right. Sell your car the instant way. And get it done with Australia's most trusted site for cars. On 882 6PR, inspiring stories for Barra and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments, because the little things are everything. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories, brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments, because the little things are everything. Certainly nothing little about my next guest, uh, a giant of a man and a giant in the game of cricket here in WA. We'll get into uh, his incredible achievements uh, over the course of the next hour or so, but I'll just say hello and welcome, firstly, to Joe Angel. How are you, Joe? Hello, guys. How you going? Going well, thanks. Uh, Firstly, how are you uh, travelling at the moment? Uh, Everyone's sort of uh, coming to terms with uh, the new normal at the moment. How's it faring for you? Yeah, well, I've um, I've actually been recovering from a bit of uh, knee surgery. So, yeah, I've been home while this has all uh, sort of gone from, yeah, one norm to uh, the new norm, I suppose. So, yeah, it's been been interesting times, that's for sure. Probably a good time for you to be recovering anyway because everyone else is cooped up at home as well. Yeah, well, it's just... Just fortunate, I suppose, I managed to get the surgery in before it, uh, everything has been canned, if it's, unless it's emergency surgery. So yep. um, it's, that's the good thing. Um, yeah, and just been doing my recovery at home and, um, yeah, got the all clear from the surgeon this morning. So, yeah, I'll be going back to work on the uh, 22nd of April. Good stuff. Joe, it's probably not a great surprise to many people that your knees have given way, given, um, you know, you're, <laughs> you're, you're, you're a... You're a big unit, let's be honest. Six foot six. Well, I'm, I'm uh, very light on my feet. <laughs> twinkled toes as well, but look, <laughs> you know, gravity's a horrible thing sometimes, isn't it? And uh, over over many years, you were thundering in, uh, particularly for Western Australia, uh, bowling your heart out. So it's probably um, not a great surprise that it's taken a toll uh, on your body over the years. Uh, can you put it down to uh, to just playing a lot of cricket? Is that what's uh, what's brought on oh, the knee yeah, issues? Yeah, definitely. You don't have to be Einstein to work that out. I mean, I, I've paid the price for, you know, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm not exactly light on my feet. And, um, you know, bowling at the Wacker, which is a great venue to uh, to bowl at, you know, in in uh, majority or more than half of the games. But, I mean, everywhere is the same. The, you know, the wickets are pretty hard and um, it does wear you down in the end, you know. So mm. it's just funny how different different people wear out different things. I remember talking to Glenn McGrath uh, when I was doing my... Uh, Level three coaching a couple of years ago, and he's 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 he reckons his knees are quite good, but his ankles, yeah, he's right. had a lot of trouble with his ankles. And he, he's a bit lighter than me, but yep. so it's just funny how different, yeah, different mm. issues, I suppose. So. Yep, uh, Joe, you uh, helped really carry uh, the WA attack uh, for uh, quite a long time and through a pretty extraordinary period uh, for Australian cricket, for WA cricket, a time of uh, great success. Uh, for WA Cricket. We'll go through some of those memorable moments uh, as well over the next hour or so. But uh, w- what are the moments for you that really stick in your mind? Uh, you know, as you as you think back to those amazing standout moments, what were the moments that really stick in your mind? 
Yeah, well, obviously, you know, representing my country was a was a great honour. It wasn't one of the uh, the great tests for us. It was the uh, uh, the fifth test against the Windies at the Wacker, and it was Kelly Ambrose's uh, seven for one that destroyed us uh, in the first innings, and I was one of them, unfortunately. But I mean, it was a great uh, great thrill to get picked uh, for my country, and and you know, pretty close behind those. Uh, that sort of thing is, is obviously, you know, being part of some successful West Australian teams. I was fortunate enough to play in a, a winning Shield side in my very first year in Shield cricket, which I probably didn't appreciate too much. And then it took us a couple of years to get back to contending again. And then we were fortunate enough to win another uh, another couple of those, mm. plus, uh, plus a few one-day crowns along the way as well. Yep. Um, you mentioned uh, your test debut, and yeah, Kirtley uh, did a number on the Aussies, that for sure. But you did get one back at least uh, for yourself and for the team. Uh, in your test debut, you you will go down as uh, as forcing the great Desmond Haynes, Haynes to retire hurt. Uh, tell us about that <laughs> moment. Yeah, it was funny because I remember um, like Steve uh, Steve Wall was pretty big on getting stuck into him and AB. It was captain as well, so sort of trying to, you know, I thought, well, I'm going to get a few, so I may as well dish a few out. And I mean, you never want to see anyone get hurt. You just don't want to intimidate and hopefully, yeah. you know, guys get themselves out through uh, through feeling a little bit uh, scared or, or fearful. And it's funny because I actually, uh, I sort of got to know Desmond quite well during the uh, the Lilac Hill Festival game. And then we'd, we'd played them in a tour game as well. So, and he was a, a guy who I'd sort of grown up uh, love love watching him bat, mm. um, and the way you know the way the West Indies went about cricket. But he was a real um, you know fun loving sort of guy, and he he was actually quite good about it. He said, "Ah, oh, no, it's just just one of those things, man." You know, so uh, <laughs> you know he was good about it, which was nice. Because like you say, you never want to see anyone get hurt. Yeah, um, but you're just trying to trying to do the best for your country. Yeah, uh, it's some debut though, isn't it? How did the uh, how did your teammates respond to it? Um, oh well, yeah, they were they were a bit disappointed. I mean, it's funny. I remember talking to someone about it, and um, AB came and asked me. I remember before the toss, and he, you know, this is my my first game. Obviously, it's my home ground, but you know, he wanted to know what we should do. And I said, well, you know, I reckon bowl first because the Wackers probably was one of the few grounds in the world where you uh, where you really, you know, you can set the game up by bowling first uh, because the wicket tended to provide a bit more life uh, early on and, you know, then your best, you had the best batting conditions sort of through day two and day three and so forth and you, you hope the cracks might open up a little bit and play a few tricks as you get deeper into the game, you know, but he, he decided to win the toss and we were, we were, I think, two for about 70 or 80 odds, so we weren't going too badly before uh, Ambrose struck, unfortunately, and, yep. uh, yeah, we were chasing our tail from then on in the game. Yeah, I, I bet. Hey, Joe, going back to the very beginning, you, you, you're born and bred in Perth, uh, born in Mount Lawley. Yep. What was uh, what were the early years like for you? Yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a Hills boy. Um, yep. That's where I played all my junior cricket. I'm, um, yeah, Dad was a, a bus driver up in Mount Alina. Uh, up yeah, there right out the hills. Um, hill. Yeah, mm. up in the hills. So, yep. um, yeah, made a, had a poultry farm as well up there early days. Uh, eventually they got rid of the poultry farm and, and Dad just drove the bus. But, yeah, him and Mum managed the, the poultry farm as well as Dad doing the bus run for my early years. So Mum mum was the one who did a lot of the uh, lot of the early driving, getting me around the cricket and so forth. Uh, when I played for, for Mount Lena, it was OK. Um, where where we lived, I, we basically, our back gate backed onto the primary school and the, 
and the high school was just across the primary school oval, so I was able to walk everywhere there. And the local local oval was basically down the end of our front drive. We had about uh, three or four uh, acres up there with fruit trees, and we used to run a few sheep and all that sort of stuff as well. But it was sort of semi-rural, I suppose, where it's yeah. uh, I think it's a bit more um, you know, like metro area now, almost up there. Mm. But uh, it was a great lifestyle. I was typical of most kids. We were, uh, you know, came home from school, we filled our face, and we went back out and. You know, you're playing cricket, playing footy with your mates, you're riding push bikes, climbing trees, um, doing all that sort of stuff. We used to ride up to Lake Lesson Alter and head load through the back tracks, which was a couple of Ks, but you know, it was one of those things we never thought anything of. We just mm. ride up, go for a swim, ride home again. So Yeah. Uh, what yeah. about what about but, siblings and, and, and also where does the height come from in the in the Angel family? I'm not sure. So um, I've got one younger brother, so yeah. he's two years younger than me. He's uh He's probably about six foot, I suppose, uh, maybe just over, but not sure where the height comes from because my mum's mum's five foot nothing and dad was about five foot or eight or ten, I suppose. So Is that right? There's no real height in the family. I've got one <laughs> nephew who's about the same height as me. Um, yeah, so I don't know where it's come come from. Must be a throwback or How many something. How um, you eating, Joe? Certainly no real height on either the angel side of the family, which is dad, or the Sturgeon side of the family, which is mum's mum's side of the family. So, yeah, right. Must have been something you were eating on the sly. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's weird. I mean, my my boys have certainly uh, taken after me. I've, my oldest son's the same as me. My my middle one's actually taller than me, and the youngest one's not far off. So we've yep. got land of the giants. Yeah, mm. outside they're easy to find. <laughs> it, it it is uh, as a young youngster playing cricket. It does put a, a lot of burden on either mum or dad or both, doesn't it? You know, the, the hours spent either at training or at games, you know, being ferried across town. Um, was that a was that something that you uh, you had to sort of constantly, you know, ask your mum or dad to do or thank them for doing? Oh, no, uh, mum was happy to do that. That was, you know, she loved the fact that we were playing sport and that was part of it. It probably got a bit harder as I got a bit older. I can remember... Um, because basically, from when you, as, as happens in most sports, as you get further up, there's less and less numbers. Yep. Uh, unfortunately, each age group. So I remember, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, when I was playing under 15s and under 16s, where I was actually having to train over at Glen Forest. So I'd catch the bus over to there after school and train, and then mum would come and pick us up after training, and then we were actually part of the Midland Guildford uh, Association. But we trained up at Glen Forest, trained on the synthetic, and played on turf on a, on a Saturday and we actually ended up, we were, the, we were the number two side. We went through the whole year undefeated but lost the grand final unfortunately but I mean it was a hell of a team. We had a, yeah. you know, we batted to about nine or ten and you know we had about eight or ten bowls as well and um, I mean I, play, I played mainly as an opening batsman uh, back then and um, you know I still wanted to bowl a bit of course but the coach was well if you want to bowl you, you bat down the order so every now and again I'd say oh, I wouldn't mind a bowl this week coach so you know you'd have to <laughs> Slide down the order, so yeah. that, was, that was what we did. And I started playing seniors cricket up there from Mount Lena at the same time, at around about fourteen or fifteen, and uh, at the same time, which I think helped my uh, my growth as a cricketer. Mm. So you start when I mean, you do hear that, hear that a bit, don't you? People who go on to become champion bowlers uh, in their early days, they fancy the bat more than the bowl. The, yeah, more yeah, than the ball. Just, yeah, uh, I, yeah. I say that to kids nowadays. You know, I mean, do it all. Try yeah. and bat, bowl, wicket keep. Um, because until you finish growing, you don't really know what you're going to be best suited to. So yeah. you may as well try and do it all. Um, and, you know, you, you should be looking to specialise, you know, when you finish growing because, 
you know, I mean, there's been a few short pass bowlers, but obviously being tall helps. And yep. by the same token, you know, there's been the odd tall batsman, but uh, by and large, they tend to be the little blokes that are, are the better players, you know, yep. um, because of, you know, a few dynamics and that sort of stuff. So, but yeah, I, I say to kids all the time, try and do it all, mm. um, you know, and have fun doing it. So when did your growth spurt happen then? When, when, when did the, the, the ball start to uh, take priority over the bat? Yeah, it's, it's funny how that worked out. I mean, I've always been a fairly big kid, um, and they probably started catching up around year 10, and then between mm. the year 10 sort of school holidays over Christmas, I remember coming back to school at year 11, everyone sort of went, oh, I should have a look at you. What, what happened, you know? Um, I sort of started to grow. I think I was six foot one at the start of year 11, so I, I sort of kept growing from there and yep. you know, finished up six foot seven. And um, So I ended up playing country week, uh, when I was about, so I think it was 16, 17, um, still living up there, playing for the Hills Association, and I really enjoyed playing on turf. Well, this is this is a bit better than synthetic, so sort of from there, when I was around about 18, I, I went down to Midland Guildford and tapped, uh, I remember the guy who was the net captain down there, a guy called Alan Baskin on the shoulder, and said, uh, G'day, I wouldn't mind a game of cricket, and yeah. just sort of started from there, and it sort of, yeah, ended up being the bowling sort of came to the fore. I always still fancied myself as a batsman yep. as well. I loved being night watchman and stuff like that, but mm. yeah, the bowling really took off, and I think Alex Stewart, um, the former English uh, wicketkeeper, batsman and captain, was one of the first who sort of spotted me bowling in one of the lower grade nets, and he he said to Tony Mann, uh, he said, I think you better get this bloke up. up, And, uh, yeah, it sort of went from there, really. I, I sort of went through the grades pretty quickly. And uh, the same thing happened with WA, I suppose. I played a bit of second living cricket. And, yeah, so the rest is history, as they say. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, just before we get to a break, Joe, the nickname Hell's Dust, does that still, yep. does that still <laughs> stick? Where did that come from? Uh, well, a lot of that basically came from, uh, well, the boys used to call me, you know, Hell's a bit initially, uh, obviously Hell's Angel yeah. sort of goes together, but Dust was actually Greg Matthews, so he was my, uh, my first first class wicket actually, but yeah, he used to call me uh, Angel Dust, yeah, right. so that was, uh, Moe Matthews <laughs> came up with that one, he was always a bit left of centre, and uh, yeah, so the... Uh, so you just merged the, the two uh, the together. Brotherhood, but yeah. Yeah, Moe Matthews, uh, I've got to thank for that one. Do you still get Hell's Dust a bit? Yeah, yeah, occasionally, yeah. When yeah. you see a few of the boys, they still call me that, amongst amongst a few other things. But, yeah, uh, yeah if, uh, if that's the, uh, the worst I get called, then yeah, it's exactly. not too bad, I don't think. That's what they call you to your face anyway. <laughs> All right, uh, Hell's yeah. Dust, we'll take a quick break and we'll be back uh, with more in a moment. Uh, Joe Angel, a.k.a. Hi. Hell's Dust, is our special guest on Inspiring Stories. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, the great WA wicket-taking fast bowler Joe Angel is our special guest in this episode. Uh, Joe, as you sort of got into your you know mid to late teens, um, you know you were a little late going to the uh, the, the full WA setup. But uh, as you were in your uh, late teens, did you really fancy cricket as being your career at that point in time? Well, I think it's just the way it sort of panned out. I suppose I, I was still sort of playing footy during the during the winter then, playing footy still up in the hills. So, you know, I was like everyone else. I played, you know, I was, still, I was working, 
um, playing my footy during the winter, cricket during the summer. Um, and it's sort of just, I suppose, just the way things sort of eventually worked out. I, I went and played um, for the, the winter of 1991. Um, I'd spoken to Kevin Gartrell, one of the doyens of uh, Midland Guildford and, and yep. uh, sort of West Australian cricket as well, uh, who's been a great mentor and, and friend for me over the years. And um, spoke to Kevin about wanting to possibly go and try and play cricket in England. And he said, oh, I'll go and speak to this guy. So I went and spoke to a guy called Mike Hirsch, um, who, uh, who was basically, he used to go back to Durham every winter, or he still does, Percy, although this year would be the first time he hasn't been back for Christ knows how long. But uh, So I went and saw Hershey, and he got me uh, got me in contact with a few people over up in Durham, and um, I ended up playing for Durham City Cricket Club up there during the, um, you know, played there on the weekend, or worked at the uh, at Durham School just on the ground staff. So, yeah, cutting grass, rolling wickets and yep. mowing and doing general stuff like that. Uh, for the winter of 91, which was, was great fun, a great experience for me. And, um, yeah, came back and sort of that's when it all sort of started to happen. So it sort of, yeah, I, um, it sort of started off the 91, came back and, you know, we did a few pre-season games where I, I felt like I did okay. And, um, yeah, was fortunate enough to get the call up for the first game in the end because, uh, yeah, Bruce Reid was sick and, and Peter Capes was six, so I wasn't even the first one they called. But, uh, yeah, I was the next one and mm. managed to get a few wickets in the first game. And, yeah, the, the rest uh, sort of followed on from there. Just remind us, it was a great time for WA cricket and for Australian cricket, but remind us, uh, yeah, who was in the, the WA side at that point in time? You've just mentioned two of the uh, the bowlers there, uh, Reed and Capes. Yep. Um, you know, two of my so, personal um, favourites. Who Jeff, else was in the yeah, team Jeff, there? Jeff Marsh was... Jeff Marsh was captain. Mike Letter was playing. Yep. Tom Moody was still there. Wayne Andrews, Tim Zura, uh, these sort of guys. So absolute doyens of, of West Australian cricket. So yeah. it was, uh, um, as I said, my, my debut was a little bit unusual. And that, uh, yeah, Bruce was supposed to be playing. So uh, I think the attack for the first game was actually um, was Terry, Bruce. Uh, Terry Alderman, Bruce Reed, um, Brendan Julian, and, and Martin McCaig was the attack for the first game. So yeah, yeah right. took, uh, took, uh, was sick apparently. So they rang Peter Capes, and he was sick as well. So ended up ringing me, and I, I was actually working down near Fremantle at the time. And so I ended up, I had to get all the way back to uh, back to near Midland where my house was to get my gear and <laughs> get back to the whacker. I didn't get to the ground until about uh, I think it was about ten thirty. Yeah, right. So, um, yeah, I think it was something like that, 20 past 10. So I was a bloody nervous wreck by the time I got there and <laughs> finally got in there. Luckily, Swampy'd won the toss and we, we were batting first. So um, got to sort of relax eventually, get everything sorted, go to the nets, have a bit of a bowl and, you know, um, just sort of settle in. And, yeah, so we the game ended up being a draw uh, first game. But, yeah, it got to... Got to have a bat and a bowl and stuff like that. Managed to get a few wickets in the end and, yeah, played played majority of the games um, throughout the rest of the season, So, which was, uh, which was good. And as I said, culminated with us uh, playing in one of, the, one of the real good finals against New South Wales at full strength at the Wacker. And um, it was a, yeah, unbelievable game that, like I said, I probably didn't truly appreciate the, uh, the gravity of the game and, and being involved in my first year. Yeah, incredible. And Greg Matthews, your first wicket, you said? Yes, yeah, Murray was first wicket. So yeah. I'd sort of um, probably tried a bit too hard my first sort of eight or nine overs. I think I'd gone at about 35 or six and over or more. 
try and you know try and Yorkers bounces and everything in between instead of just you know bowling good you know top of off stump outside and build some pressure and then so I finally sort of went back to a bit of that and um, I got Moe out LBW um, he still reckons it's not out to this day but I keep telling him have a look at the book pen it's out uh, and then I got Mark Ball. Uh, I managed to clean up the last few wickets, so I got Mark Ball not long. I think the next over, um, and I got um, Mike Whitney out for the last wicket. So I ended up got the last three wickets to to bowl New South Wales out. So that was sort of nice. To, I think I went from none for fifty to three for fifty, so yep. made the figures look a little bit more respectable. <laughs> <laughs> Um, some great characters there. I, I remember reading um, one of your quotes uh, once upon a time that said, uh, you know, cricket's a relatively simple game that's been uh, complicated by people. Um, yep. What do, you, what do you mean by that? I mean, obviously, I yeah, understand I'll, what you mean by that, but can you can you just yep. explain where that came from, that, that quote? Yeah, I've just, um, I mean, I've used that, I still use that to this day, you know. I think yeah. people overcomplicate things sometimes. Um, I've had quite a few guys who've, come through the squads over the years and I think they just, you know, it's almost paralysis by analysis. I mean, mm. you've got to keep it simple. Um, all the good players do the simple things over and over, you know. The majority of your, of your great bowlers are able to build pressure. They bowl one side of the wicket. You can set a field. Um, and I always say to kids, when you're, you know, when you're batting and you're not scoring, what do you try and do? And they say, oh, well, I'll try and do something. No, no, you try, you try and score. And you quite often, you know, you can you can probably count on one hand, you know, the amount of times you've bowled an absolute chaffer of a ball that gets a wicket. You know what I mean? Usually it's from building pressure and you cause an error from the batsman because uh, they they're trying to score. Yeah. Um, and that's that's basically how it is from a bowling perspective. And you know, it's a, it's a battle of attrition. You've got to outlast the batters, and they've got to try and outlast you, and then. Hopefully, if you uh, you know if you get an edge or whatever, the fielders are uh, switched on and ready to take the catch if it's uh, if it's coming their way, or you know they make a you know they make a stop in the field that could lead to a run out or or something like that. So it's it's really keeping the game as simple as it is, and you know it's that that battle between bat and ball. Yeah, and you've got to try and win it. Hey, tell us about your um, your overseas tours. I know you went to uh, to Sri Lanka, you went to Pakistan fairly fairly early on in your first class career which often goes down as a culture shock for for a lot of particularly younger players <laughs> you know not used to the food the heat the conditions the noisy crowds you know all of it um yep. how did you how did you fare over there um i think i'm i'm pretty sort of laid back and easy going by nature so i think i was sort of went in wide-eyed and you know, looking looking forward to the experience. Sri Lanka was, uh, I mean, I like that sort of food. I like spicy food. Yeah. I like Indian food. So that sort of thing didn't bother me. Um, Sri Lanka was bloody hot. That was uh, the toughest conditions I've had to play in, I think. Um, and we were only playing one-day games over there. But yeah. um, just the humidity and so forth. I remember Justin Langer talking about they played, uh, did a tour in the UAE, I think, um, where he said it was, I think, you know, near enough to 40 degrees and high humidity, and I can only imagine what that's like. I mean, Sri Lanka was probably mid-30s, but, you know, near enough to 100% humidity, and um, you just sweat. I mean, I sweat. I'd sweat an igloo, me, I think, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it was just running down my arms. I used to have a little towel to try and dry my hands and my arms to keep the ball dry, you know, during the over, and I had two towels down the boundary 
uh, in between overs trying to keep myself as dry as I could because yeah. you know, um, it's no good if the ball gets wet. Yeah. You can't shine it properly. It doesn't, doesn't swing, all that sort of stuff. So yeah. it was certainly tough conditions, but a real, um, yeah, good, great experience. Um, I got uh, I got a bit of uh, gastro and diarrhoea. I remember when we first got to Sri Lanka, which was a real uh, struggle, and you're trying to, you know, do the right thing. And I remember uh, one of our first training sessions. It, was, it had been it was raining, so we were training indoors. So I spent the time going between trying to bowl, <laughs> going to the dunny, and coming back. And uh, I got back to my uh, back to my room that day. I think we, you know, we trained from about nine till about midday, and um, I room with uh, I was room with Craig McDermott, and I said, "Mate, I'm just cooked here. I'm in the shower." I went to bed and I slept right through, and you know, I slept for about eighteen hours, I think, and then I. <laughs> I sort of woke up and I was all right. So I think it was just that, perhaps the initial, you know, first day or two of mm. different food, um, getting that through there. And then mm. from there, we went on to Pakistan, which was another uh, culture shock again, I suppose. But um, it's the real sort of haves and have-nots over there. You know, people have either got you know, plenty of money or they've got uh, got bugger all. But uh, it was a fascinating place to play. Yeah, I bet. Uh, they, it, um, they love their love their cricket over there. It's you know people just used to you know you end up someone to be standing next to you. Next minute a, a camera flash would go off. You know they don't come up and and ask you for a photo. They just someone's next to you and the camera goes off. So yeah. it's uh, yeah. yeah, it's different. But uh, yeah, a fascinating uh, fascinating tour. And I got to room with David Boone um, for. a Couple of weeks there at the start of the tour, which was which was fabulous. Uh, you know, he was a, another great mentor and uh, and stuff like that. But it was certainly different to uh, to get used to because you, you, I mean, you're so used to being Australia or the UK, I suppose, where you can you, know, you can go out after a day's play and have dinner and maybe have a beer or two. But uh, over there, there's none of that really. Mm. Um, so you know, and at the hours of play were early too. So we played from uh, I think it was 9:30 till four. So it was really early, so you were, and you couldn't shower at half the grounds because yeah. half the grounds didn't have showers, but it didn't work. So you, <laughs> you basically missed at the end of the day's play back to the hotel. You'd have a shower. Uh, the manager usually had a couple of beers in his room, and you know you sort of had dinner by six o'clock, and you were twiddling your thumbs at seven o'clock. Or what do we do? Go to bed, or you know you played. There was a few card uh, guys were playing cards and stuff like that, but it was uh, certainly a different experience. Yeah, I can imagine. Still, rooming with uh, Booney, they put the tall and the short together there, didn't they? You must have some stories from um, having to room with Booney uh, on that tour for a couple of weeks. Yeah, well, he was was really good for me. I remember um, just before the night before the first test, and he said, you be ready to play tomorrow. I said, oh, what do you mean? I said, buddy, because Craig McDermott had had, uh, had a bit of an ingrown toenail that was sort of causing him some nip. And I said to Booney, I said, no, he'll be fine. He'll just tape it up. He'll get through, mate. He'll be right. And he said, no, you be ready to go. Because he obviously knew Craig sort of, I think, had done, you know, these sort of things a couple of times before. And sort of sure enough, I got the tap on the shoulder in the morning. They said, you're in, you know, and um, which was a sort of a pleasant surprise. But I can still remember the night before, um, I bought a bottle of uh, Jack Daniels duty free to bring with us. <laughs> Take with us as we went around, and um, as I said, you don't go anywhere for dinner. So uh, that night, Booney and I decided, all right, we're going to have room service. And Errol Alcott, the physio, said, "Oh, I'll come and join you." And I knew Errol was a—he was a Jack Daniels man. So you know, we end up we're having a couple of Jack Daniels with our with our dinner. That was nice. So we we drank the whole bottle between the three of us the night before. <laughs> so uh, you know, it was just you know, but it was nothing. We went, buddy. You know, hand off the 
you know, chandeliers or anything, but we we were just talking cricket and yep. talking rubbish like blokes do in, in that sort of situation. But it was a really good, fun night, you know. And as I said, Booney said, be ready to go in the morning. And so I was ready to go, yeah. It was, uh, it was a fascinating uh, first test to be involved in. I bet. Uh, Joe, we need to take a break. Uh, after that, yep. though, and look, I'll, I'll be fast-forwarding along your timeline a little bit here, but um, you, you just sort of twigged my memory there, talking about Craig McDermott uh, trying to jam his uh, ingrown toenail uh, into his boot, <laughs> and um, the time that you found something in your boot uh, as oh, well, okay, courtesy yeah, yeah. of one of your um, prankster teammates. Uh, we'll get to that yes, after shit. the break. Uh, Joe Angel is our special guest. This is Inspiring Stories, back with more soon. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Big Joe Angel is our special guest in this episode, a man who took 445 uh, wickets in domestic cricket for WA. Uh, Joe, you've, you've mentioned you know some some colourful moments with some colourful characters uh, on tour there for Australia, uh, particularly overseas. Um, the, the WA fold had some pretty colourful, strong characters in it too, didn't it? And, and you talked about uh, your first season winning uh, the Shield. Um, there were some lean years, um, but it, it took a character like Tom Moody, didn't it, to really galvanise those characters and harness all the energy within that uh, camp and get the most out of it. Can you can you tell us what that time was like? Yeah, so, yeah, Tom, uh, Tom along with um, Wayne Clark when he came in as, uh, as coach Dunny and, and Tom uh, did a fantastic job really just getting people back switched on and, um, you know, it's that, that old man management thing again. I mean, everybody, you know, guys when they get to that level, they know how to play, they know how to bat and bowl, but it's uh, getting everybody switched on and, and singing from the same songbook, I suppose. So it was just, um, yeah, getting everybody back to trying to make sure we could do the best for West Australian cricket and, you know, everything else would sort of take care of itself. And, mm. uh, you know, we played, we went through an era of about sort of five or six years there, I think, where we had a really uh, probably core group of about six or eight of us. So there was sort of Tom, uh, Justin Langer, uh, Damian Martin, Brendan Julian, myself, and then Simon Caddick came into that. Mike Hussey, uh, Ryan Campbell, and these sort of guys sort of sort of came in and around. And that that real core group of players, I think, gives you the stability as well that that, um, that provides success. And I think you've seen that with Queensland had that sort of thing. They had the same core group of, uh, of players. And Victoria have probably been one of the ones of recent. You know, the last sort of 15 to 20 years, they've been been that way. You know, they've had a, a core group of players who've, uh, and that's why they've had a lot of success domestically. Mm. And he, and a fairly young at the time, Bradley Hogg uh, played a great prank yes. on you uh, around about that time as well. Um, tell us about this. Just yeah, just go from the start and, and talk us through it. Yeah, George Bradley Hogg. Uh, I know when when they talk about probably worst roommates, Hoggy's up there. Probably me and Hoggy actually. Probably people would say the two worst roomies only because uh, Hoggy's a Hoggy's an absolute lunatic and uh, and I like sleeping naked and doing all that sort of stuff. So did they put you guys blokes, together but, uh, then in the end? Well, yeah, so, yeah it's a bit of a nightmare with Hoggy. So yeah, but he uh, he just never uh, never sits still. You know, he's like a like a two year old on red cordial. So, um, but yeah, so my. Um, my boots, so I used to always cut the big toe area out to provide a bit of extra relief 
um, you know, with your toes sort of banging against the end of your boot. So uh, one day Hoggy decided, he, he found a dead mouse. I don't know if it was at home or somewhere and decided to bring it in. He thought, oh, he'd be funny and he'd, he'd put the mouse sticking out the end of my boot. And um, so he did this on it with a pair of my uh, my practice boots. So I, I don't, usually had a pair that I'd use in games that basically I'd only bowl in those in games. I'd have two or three other pairs that I'd, you know, be either breaking in or ready to go as backup if the there's a blowout. So Hoggy sort of, he, he whacked the uh, the mouse in the end of my, my boots. Now, I never used to put my boots on in the change room, so I used to carry them over to the nets. Um, we'd sort of do our warm-up, and then I'd put my boots on, and um, after we'd done the warm-up, and then, you know, we'd be into the nets and go. So I never even saw this mouse, just picked my boots up, because they were, they were a fairly dark pair of boots. Um, this is back when we sort of had basketball shoes and getting the spikes put on the bottom and so forth. So these were a, a pair of uh, fairly dark ones. I don't know whether that was why I missed them or not. Uh, but the mouse happened to fall into my boot um, on the journey over. Um, obviously, I didn't realise it was there. I use orthotics in my, my boots and my shoes. Um, so I've got quite big arches, you know, so there's a fair yeah. gap underneath my feet. So get over there, we do the warm-up. I put my orthotics in, put my boots on, and I bowl away for however long we did. Did that for, uh, you know, I think... Uh, I can't remember if it was actually, you know, on the first day of the game or if it had been in training leading up. I think it might have been in leading up training as well. So so this mouse has been in my boots for, for two or three or four days, whatever it is, and, you know, as we Starting got into the game... Bit, I imagine. This boot, yeah, so mm. as 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 we got into the game, they obviously started to smell. Now, these boots I put underneath the locker uh, where I sit in the locker. Now, I used to sit next to... I had Damien Martin, Justin Langer on one side. I had Brendan Julian and Tom Moody on the other side where our, our bank of lockers were. So my boots actually ended up sort of getting underneath BJ's locker a bit and the smell. I remember Gilly coming over going, what's the bloody smell? You know, we couldn't work out what it was. We're looking in the lockers and... You know, and then I think the next day he came over again. He's going, oh, buddy, what's this bloody smell over here? And it smelled like it was coming out of BJ's locker. So that was really good, you know, because he, he hated that sort of stuff. So um, I remember BJ, uh, Gilly grabbed, grabbed one of my boots, you know, and he grabbed one boot and he had a smell. He said, no, nah, that, that one's all right. And he grabbed the other boot that had the bounce in it and took a sniff and nearly, buddy, nearly spewed right there and then. <laughs> so uh, he sort of, you know, he grabbed the boots and we threw them outside and Hoggy eventually owned up. He said, oh, that's right, I'll put a mouse in your boot, you know. So, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, we'd, he'd, he'd forgotten about it and sort of I yeah, hadn't realised it was there. So, But the bloody smell was uh, starting to behold. So needless to say, those boots uh, went in the uh, bin. Need to be seen again, but I, I got Hoggy back with a few prawns in his pads. So uh, just in between the... Uh, the soft bit and the uh, the front bit where there's a bit of a gap, so I put some of those in his pads for him to uh, to brew for a few days. So I did get him back. Yeah, good stuff. Does that sort of stuff <laughs> still happen? You know, in the in the dressing uh, rooms, in that in that sense of camaraderie between you guys uh, in the in the, in yeah, the locker yeah, rooms think, stuff. Does that so. stuff I'm, still happen? Yeah, I'm sure it does. I, I can remember um, a couple of guys up at Midland Guildford used to do that, like um, in the old days. So Wherever you, if you were if you were going away, playing an away game, um, usually someone had to uh, had to take the name plates, you know, for wherever you were going to put on the scoreboard. If they had, um, I remember a few of the guys used to get the big metal name plates and put them in the bottom of most bags and 
put their uh, put their gear back in. So blokes are going to pick the bag up and nearly do their back, you know, because yeah. they've got a dozen big heavy name plates. And I know uh, a few of the boys used to prank one another. One of the guys, uh, Reese Ainsworth, who played a bit of first and seconds for uh, for Midland, he used to love pranking people. I remember the guys got him back. He used to have one of those old uh, metal uh, lolly tins, you know. So he used yep. to have all his spare spikes and what have you and shoelaces and all whatnot in there and the guys went and drilled holes in it and popped river to the lid down uh, one day. So yeah, that sort of thing used to used to go on and I can remember we did a, a second eleven tour of England uh back in about I think it was ninety five or ninety six and uh, yeah a few of the boys there was a few pranks like, you know, prawns in uh, pads and things like that. Uh, during the trip over there as well, so yep. I'm sure it still happens today to a degree. Yeah, so boys will be boys. Yeah, they certainly will be. Hey, uh, that, that period of the the mid to late '90s, uh, you know, once uh, the team was was back and and focused, four consecutive Shield finals, if my memory serves me correctly. Yep. Um, Yep. Lost the first couple uh, and then third time. Lucky, do you feel like uh, reflecting on it? It was a great time for WA cricket, but could it have been even better in terms of uh, titles won? Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, the, the first one we got back into in Adelaide, I think in 1995-6, I think it was, or 90, whichever one it was, um, yeah, we dominated that game from, from day one to, to day five. Um, unfortunately... Uh, you know, we, we got the last wicket. Hoggy actually got the last wicket. was a bat pad um, given not out. But we still had 40 minutes to go, I think. And we thought, oh, we'll, we'll still get these these two, you know. I mean, it was buddy Peter McIntyre and Shane George who weren't exactly renowned with the uh, with the willow in hand. and But unfortunately, they managed to, to hang on, you know, So yeah. uh, which was which was really frustrating. But, um, you know, we did everything we could. Um, you know, they managed to hang on for a draw. They, were the, they finished on top. Uh, that year, that was uh, the last time they won it as well, South Australia. So it's been a long time between teams for them. Uh, the next year at the Wacker, um, unfortunately, Queensland did a job on us. They out, mm. outplayed us. Um, you know, over the four days, we never really... Uh, they probably uh, put us put us behind the eight ball initially. They bowled really well, bowled us out quite cheaply. And again, we were chasing our tails to try and get back into the game. So uh, that was a real disappointing result. So I think it really steals us when we, we got the final the third year in a row. Uh, we played Tassie at home and we absolutely destroyed them. Yeah. Um, from there, BJ, I remember, played one of the most amazing innings to to really put the game away. We bowled Tassie out reasonably cheaply, uh, bowling first, and then you know, I think we were a couple hundred in front. And uh, I think it was either nearly an innings result or something there. But, I mean, BJ scored a, a hundred off about... I think it was 75, 80 balls or whatever it was. Yeah, it was brutal. And really wind out of their sails. And then, uh, yeah, the following year up in up in Brisbane, we were uh, happy to repay the favour. And that, that was probably the most satisfying one because they'd really, you know, stuffed us out of sight at the one at the Wacker. So to go up to the Gabba and uh, and really do a job on them and win by an innings up there was, was probably one of the most satisfying uh, results uh, and games that I've been involved in. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm just uh, actually just looking at a quote of yours, just talking about that Brendan Julian innings where you said, uh, I, I wandered in and got the best seat in the house to watch Brendan Julian smash the out of them at the other end. So there you go. I can't say <laughs> yeah, the word, so Joe, I was, but I think we know what you, think we know what no, you no, were no, saying. No, no, no. I was very fortunate. So, yeah, because we, um, 
we'd bowled Queensland out for about 200, I think it was. And yep. so we'd bowled, they'd won the toss, hoping to put a big first in score. So we were really pleased. We'd, we'd you know, knocked them over for that score. And we were about seven for about about their score when I wandered out to bat with BJ. So the game was sort of still in on the balance, balance a bit, you know. Mm. If, we, if we had got knocked over and, you know, would have basically started on an even keel again. So yep. BJ and I put on, I think, 100 hundred or something near enough too and I only got twenty odd of those, I think twenty five or whatever and twenty three you got Joe off uh, hundred and seven balls. So you did your job. Yep. So <laughs> there you go. The, the partnership was unbelievable. BJ just absolutely slayed them. Yeah. So it was yeah, a couple of amazing shots I can remember him playing there and you know Queensland had no answer. So yeah. he, he sort of he like the same sort of thing, took the wind out of their sails and remember yep. we came out to bowl for a few overs and uh, and Marto uh, got Matty Hayden out, uh, I think last over the day or second last over the day, and you could really just sense Queensland sort of mm. morale had dropped, and yeah, we, we bowled them out for about 100 the next day. Good so, stuff. Fantastic win. Great memories. So, Joe, we need to take a, another quick break. We'll be back on the other side of that. Yep. This is Inspiring Stories on 882 6PR. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR. Brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. My guest is Joe Angel, a man who took 485 first-class wickets, 445 uh, in domestic cricket here in Australia for WA, which puts him right up uh, near the top of our most prolific bowlers. Uh, And also in 2000 was awarded the Australian Sports Medal. Uh, for his contribution uh, to cricket, uh, some of the many accolades that he's uh, picked up over the years. Joe, what are, what are you most proud of? What sits sort of pride of place on your mantelpiece? I think just um, my longevity and, and the, the winning teams, you know, the winning Shield teams and one-day finals and, you know, even like the, the finals I won for Midland Guildford, that's the things that I'm uh, proud of my longevity. Um, the fact that I was able to keep going and when a few people had said uh, they thought I was done and sort of reinvented myself, uh, probably end up you know, bowling uh, probably half of my career, end up bowling up into the breeze because uh, we didn't really have anyone who was able to do the job. So yep. I was very proud of the fact that I was adaptable enough to be able to do that and continue to take wickets for the state and played a, uh, played a role for the team. And uh, when it was time to, to call it a day... Uh, how was that for you? Was it bittersweet or were you sort of just completely ready to move on to the next phase of your life? Yeah, a, a bit of both, I suppose. I mean, you want to play forever. Um, such good fun. Um, like I said, I played for 13 years, which is a, a hell of a long time in the end. And um, as I said, I, I was a bit of a late starter, I suppose. I didn't start till I was 23. So the fact that I was able to, uh, to go for so long, I think, was sort of testament to... Uh, you know my uh, my doggedness, I suppose, and uh, yep. the physios, and uh, and that did a good job keeping me going. But yeah, in the end, the uh, the knees were pretty well shot. And I can still remember uh, my good mate John Gartrell came along for the last game uh, that was uh, fittingly playing New South Wales at the Wacker, and um, I was down on the boundary. I think they had uh, had one or two wickets left to get, and I, I think I got one, I got the second last wicket. And, um, I remember saying to Johnny, I said, geez, I hope the boys, someone else gets to start last wicket because my knees were absolutely barking and uh, I was well and truly ready to say, uh, you know, enough was enough. I mean, you, mm. you put up with a bit of pain, but uh, it just got to the stage where uh, 
yeah, enough was enough. And Marcus North got the last wicket, thankfully. And I remember he, he came down to me and said, oh, I'm really sorry, big fella. I said, mate, I'm not sorry. So, mm. you know, let's, uh, let's go and have a beer and uh, <laughs> let's celebrate. So, yeah, that was uh, was how it all uh, came about at the end. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you leave behind uh, an incredible... Uh, legacy, uh, as I said, you'll go down as uh, one of the great wicket-takers uh, for WA, and then we've had some uh, amazing bowlers uh, over the years. So congratulations uh, on an incredible career, and thanks for the memories. Thanks for sharing your story with us today. Pleasure. Hopefully uh, someone can beat that record, and you'll need to speak to them too. <laughs> but no hurry. <laughs> no, we <laughs> oh, will well, do. I don't know yeah. what it means. I they've been successful. Absolutely. Uh, thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. Pleasure. You've... You've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another WA Inspiring Story. You're listening to another Inspiring Story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. Stuff for your face and body? It's men's skincare with a purpose. Top quality Aussie-made grooming and skincare to help guys look and feel great with no hassles. Plus, Stuff is helping mental health too. Find Stuff at Woolworths or visit websiteofstuff.com.